0: Hello. This is uh, hi. This is Fam Electric Ghost. I'm just gonna do a little brief intro. We have um missing sons on the line, right? Laura. Yes. Sir. Okay, great. Is it just gonna be you or the whole band?
1: Um, it's just gonna be me for tonight.
0: Okay, cool. Um, so I'm just gonna do a little brief intro. It's Fam Electric Ghost. We have the podcast mm-hmm. on Anchor FM, and we've been interviewing artists, indie artists from around the world. We have about twenty-two thousand mm-hmm. listeners right now worldwide, um, and I wanted to give a brief introduction uh, based on your biography on uh, okay. Spotify. So, The Missing Sons are a rock and roll band based out of Queens, New York, and mm-hmm. you're the lead singer and, and lead guitarist as well, or just... Or a rhythm prior, guitarist. rhythm guitarist.
1: and the, the songwriter.
0: Your primary songwriter, yeah. So, you have a brand new EP this year, right? Yes. It's out, we had one out in 2018. eighteen. Called uh, the Ballad of the Troublemaker, and Ballad of the Troublemaker. Yes, and your latest album uh, EP is Shut Up and, and Deal.
1: Yes. Okay.
0: And uh, your your sound is um like indie rock, uh, grunge, seventies psychedelic psychedelic rock, kind of blending into this new kind of sound. Yes. I kind of I kind of heard Blake Babies. I heard in in your song I, sound, I heard um like Sonic Youth.
1: Uh, I, I appreciate that a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of showing my age because that's like that's where the bands I kind of grew up listening that's to. Okay, like,
1: I grew up listening
0: to them just a couple. So, like do and you know replacements, but you kind of channel the female male combination of like the Blake Babies, Juliana Hatfield, you know, and uh, and then also like Sonic Youth is like you know that that kind of merging. They you actually go back to like uh, Velvet Underground and Nico. Wow, had that kind of thing. And I have always loved that. They like that's the beginning of like indie alternative rock is like the Velvet Underground and Nico.
1: (laughs) Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah. So I think you're channeling that. And so I just wanted to start from that. Uh, And then we have a a, a bunch of questions that we sent you that we usually start from the first one. Right. So when did you first get into music Mm -hmm. at what
1: age? Um, I really have been into music for as long as I can remember because I was lucky that I grew up in a family that uh, really appreciated music and loved it. They weren't, you know, musicians themselves, but they were involved fans. And my mom was very involved in the the 70s punk scene here in New York City. So I I got regaled with (laughs) that. So it's been mainly my whole life.
0: So was your mom like like at CBGB's, you know, back in the day with like talking heads and all the great bands that used to go through there
1: oh yeah but she was more of a max's kansas city kind of girl oh
0: Max, that that's another great place yeah
1: yeah
0: Uh, yeah so you when did you start actually like working on music and deciding that you could write your own music because a lot of people will start off you know covering um other artists did you start off covering other artists or did you start off like writing your own tunes
1: well when i first learned how to play guitar at around 13 I play some other people's songs just to get kind of introduction things I heard that I like. Uh, my primary been, uh, songwriting of my own. I don't do a lover's interested in maybe dabbling with a little bit going forward.
0: Yeah, that's what I, one of the cool things I like to talk to like indie bands. The reason I talk to indie bands is I like the idea that a band's going to go out there like the Sex Pistols and they just write their own stuff, you know. You know, that that to me has always been the place of music that I always went to. I used to listen to college radio, you know, right. the, before the internet, it was like the college radio and like R.E.M. and, the and all those bands kind of came up through that. Right. And it, it's the singer-songwriters, you know, the Grand Hearts, you know, of the world, the Juliana Hatfields of the world, Tori Amos, people who actually sit down and they're going to create their vision. And I think what's great about a singer-songwriter is that, like, you know, you don't have these producers kind of, like, distilling a vision. You get the full vision, like a, like an author. Yeah, I look at I, music that's how I it. like to
1: look at it, too. I yeah, music's like being a novel. Yeah. <laughs> I, refu- I I like to think of, uh, well, I've only recorded an EPs, though I hope to do a future LP one day, but I always considered it almost like a book and each song its own chapter in that way.
0: Yeah, very much the I, I, my. You know, I grew up listening to the band and Dylan, and Dylan... Always wrote these really cohesive pieces, like from blonde on blonde. Right. You know, he's like he 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 would always write these very cohesive, very literate visual stories. And the band did the same thing. They just like if you listen to like the band, there's like you can kind of feel this Americana thing going on. And you can picture, you can picture those songs. Um, and that's why I think about singer-songwriters is so great you know though back in the 70s and 80s again so many singer songwriters bringing this kind of vision and then you have like the indie kind of grungy vision you know that in the Nirvana and pearl jam and stone temple pilots and all those bands they they kind of brought that back because you know new wave is cool and i'm a keyboardist so i appreciate new wave but but it's i i always had a punk aesthetic and and i really i mean i loved uh the runaways yeah (laughs) you know that's I've always been into that, you know. Liz Fair is a big, big uh, uh, star. I, I love to follow her. I think she's great. I think that so that's the kind of music I like to listen to a lot. Um, Cedar Keeney, you kind of channel that too.
1: Oh, absolutely. They were they might be my favorite band. It's hard to say exactly, but uh, they would definitely be up there for me.
0: Yeah, I'd like to hear another Wild Flag. I like that variation. Yeah,
1: they were <laughs> they were very good too.
0: So, so w- when you realized that you had a talent for writing, was your primary instrument the guitar, or did you start on any other instrument? When you started um, writing,
1: well, I actually started. Uh, I had a very good music program. I was lucky in my school district. I started with the saxophone because oh, cool. uh, guitar guitar wasn't an option. But uh, once I looked into music more on my own, uh, yeah, guitar was my was always my instrument.
0: That's interesting. I started on a wind. I started on the clarinet. And then I switched oh. to, to, to like, oh. uh, back in the day, I got like a, uh, a, a, a D 50, a Roland D 50. And I, back during the new wave era, uh, yeah. okay, I showed my age, but you know, I was a kid when I got one of those <laughs> oh. and it's just like, I was trying to just emulate the cure and new order and joy division and stuff like that. But, um, uh, yeah, it's just cool, um. The the see where where people start because I know some people start with you know piano because they you can write everything but a lot of singer songwriters they write on guitar because that's like a really good writing
1: instrument. Yeah, I agree, and I hope to. I'm going to be uh, getting Ableton soon, which cool, cool. I think will be interesting and in opening up a lot of new doors when it comes to songwriting. giving me access to you know make all these different instruments and sounds accessible to me. Um, yeah, that's that's, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm very excited for that. I think. There's a lot of ways that you could do it while still honoring the soul of the song and rock and roll itself, basically. Um, And I think that there's been a bunch of new albums that have kind of honored that in different ways. So I'm very excited to dabble in that with songwriting coming forward.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really cool tool because not everybody, like I'm a keyboard player, so I have modes and rollins, you know, actual keyboards, but not everybody can afford that stuff. So getting a MIDI controller and Ableton and getting some plugins are cool. This Because I'm a keyboardist, I'm kind of old school purist. I, mean, I used to listen to the Allman's and Rick Wakeman from Yes. So I'm kind of like, well, I got to have a Moog. You know, <laughs> I got to have a Jupiter because there's a certain thing about those instruments. The same thing as like a guitar. Oh, absolutely. You know, when it comes to like certain synthesizers. You, the plugins don't really cut it compared to actually having a real one. But to be able to write. And to be able to move forward as a songwriter, yeah, you can use a you can use a Casio. You know, it doesn't matter if you're really. I mean, look at Jack White; he could take a hundred dollar plastic guitar. It doesn't really That's matter. True, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's just the cool thing about like dabbling into like Ableton is is a, is a songwriter. Then you can actually you know you add strings. You you came from being a, a sax player, so you could add horns, and you'd have exactly. that kind of ability to kind of widen your what genres you're in which is kind of interesting like the clash i think the clash were the greatest one of the greatest punk bands ever because they, yeah. they could cross into reggae they crossed into african rhythms and ska and they, they just mixed it up and because they were willing to look at that and even hip-hop in the, back in the day on sandinista combat rock so right. yeah i think that opens up you know to you being able to use an 808 type drum machine you know yeah, you get
1: of... all those those sort of options and stuff for for a millennial. I'm not always the best at tech technology, but I've been doing my research, so I'm really hoping to put this to good use.
0: Oh yeah, there's a lot of stuff you can do. I mean, I have real 808s and stuff, but they're getting a simulated 808 or finding something that sounds like a Lin LM1, which is what Prince used to use, you know, just those things in like the history of like electronic music, you know, getting those Moog sounds or a Prophet Five sound or Jupiter Eight sound. There are plugins you can get that you don't have to spend like ten thousand dollars trying to find a Jupiter Eight. You know where you can exactly. bring that sound into your thing, and that kind of brings that that new wave feel, like you will sound like The Cure or it will sound like New Order, and you can exactly. kind of take take that. And then I think it's always cool to see what a guitarist does with a keyboard, um because you know one of the basic biggest examples. I'll just talk a little bit about that is is like P Towns. You know, right. one of the greatest guitar players. But the stuff he did with like Bob O'Reilly and Won't Go Fooled Again, he is considered by synthesizer players to be one of the greater, greatest synthesizer players, like up with Keith Emerson and Rick Wakeman, because he approached it in a different way. And I think that's what you can bring to the table if you, because you played a saxophone, played the play the guitar, when you approach synths, you could come with like a guitarist or saxophonist sensibility and do something that a keyboard player might not do. That's, that's very true. Yeah, I think that's really cool. Well, <laughs> well, so, that's, that's it's,
1: always kind of been my style. Even with guitar, I'm for the most part self-taught when it comes to guitar. So, what I, you know, back in sort of the theory and technical abilities like that, I, you know, try to experiment or seeing if I play this chord, but just do this a little differently. What will this do, and how does it go with that? Uh, I try to keep it creative that way.
0: That's awesome. I think that's that's the future of music is where people, you know, aren't afraid. To break the rules or to do things that just feel good and and not care about you know if that's the traditional way of doing it um i think that that's really interesting so i kind of name check bands i thought you sounded like but if you were going to talk about who your influences are and reference points are who would you actually uh name check
1: well i mean it's it's hard to say specifically there's so many i mean sleater kenny like you mentioned is um you know, one of the primary ones. I grew up listening to the the 70s punk from Patti Smith and then eventually oh, with yeah. Iggy Pop. And, all that. Um, and then I was also very influenced by the 90s. You know, my parents had Nevermind. And then my mm-hmm. mom came in the room one day after I was playing it for the, I don't know, million times. And she said, you know, his wife had her own band and said, you should maybe look into them.
0: Oh, Courtney and Love. Yeah. Whole, yeah. Yeah. Opened up
1: to the 90s that, you know, took me to, on the greater part of my childhood. Uh, You know, those albums came with me everywhere. Being, you know, the generation of the iPod Classic where you could do that. Got myself yeah. 100 gigs and loaded everything up from my local library and would just walk around with it. But, I mean, also being from New York, we had a great movement here in the early 2000s with bands like the Yeah Yeah Yeahs and the Strokes. So yeah, I definitely are awesome. myself yeah, well
0: <laughs> yeah. Hello?
1: Hi,
0: yes. Yeah, yeah, you're still there. You just dropped off. I know you mentioned the strokes and the and the yayas The
1: yeah yeah yes.
0: Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Yeah, I love the strokes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they're that's a that's a cool band too. Cause um yeah, I like that kind of like I've always had that kind of punk aesthetic. Absolutely. When yeah. even when I try to use keyboards, one of the things I like about analog sense. Is that you know if you go back to like what Trent Reznor did,
1: right? He was using,
0: he was using mokes to to take that electronic sound and make it punk, and analog synths like that can actually do that very well because they have that kind of you know power. They they kind of cut through the mix, um, so it's that's one of the things like if you get into it, you know there are a lot there's some cheap analog synths out there. They're not so expensive, but when you get into it, if you really want to have that kind of punk power. Is nothing like you know, like an Arturia or like a, a, some kind of Moog, a uh, small Moog will actually always cut through the mix and really give you a lot of power.
1: That's good. Um, no, thank you very much. I just wrote that down.
0: Yeah, like there are little Moogs that aren't so crammy, and Moogs are expensive. it will cost you like, like 600 bucks for it. the cheapest Moog. Right. But it could give you something that just cuts through, like an analog signal just cuts through because it's, you know, it's really, it's like a pure sound. And there's so much you can do with them. They're not stuck on presets. They they deal with like the wave from the you are doing sound design, and, and it's right. like your own sound. You don't have to pay anybody for a sound or pay a subscription. You're building your own sounds. Um, but yeah, that's interesting uh, that, that you're in that New York scene, which I have actually played a couple of times. I played at Black Door in '51. Oh, okay, <laughs> I actually
1: live not too far from that.
0: Yeah, a couple of years ago I did a did a family Electric Ghost show there and I put my did my one man show and I like the fog machine and the lights.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. It's a it's it's a good old time venue like that. I, I it looks yeah. like it's been around forever. I would think it has. Everybody kind of knows it. The problem is most of the shows in New York City are concentrated in Brooklyn and Manhattan. Um yeah. primarily in Brooklyn, but mostly Manhattan. So having yeah. somebody go all out to Elmhurst and Queens is like what it, what it's is hard, this place? Hard.
0: It's hard to get your fans to show up there.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's rough for most bands, even us. You know, coming from Queens primarily.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Fat Baby probably pulls in more people. Yeah. You know. But um, yeah. I just I was just playing. I'm I'm from New Hampshire, so playing in New York, any place in New York, I was like, oh, I was just happy.
1: <laughs> oh, of course, yeah. But I still feel that way, so.
0: Yeah, because the problem where I'm from is everybody wants to hear, like, Stairway to Heaven for the millionth time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and, yeah. They, and they want to hear, you know, they want somebody to, they just want you to play the, the oldies but goodies, you know, and that's fine, but I'm, I want to write my own stuff. I want to play my own I stuff. Don't. So I think New York is, like, the greatest place for that, where you you can do that, you know, and the, the crowd is some receptive. So have you had really good experiences that performing? I, I know I've read you to write up the, your live performance is like a key part of your, your, your stage act, right?
1: We try to. Yeah. And it's, it's also for, for uh, 2020, I'm thinking of expanding, um, you know, adding some other elements and things like that to add to our stage presence. But yeah, I mean, we've been lucky that we've gotten to play a bunch of shows when we first started playing about February of last year. um, You know, we went for a few months where we were doing what felt like a show a week where we were just going wherever would have us often we could just to get the experience. And now oh, you know, we're trying to build on that. Um, and I actually put on shows on my old, my own now, because the one negative about being in a city that's so, big, so many, you know, opportunities and play play is that it's very scattered. So it's hard to, you know, kind of concentrate things. And once things get concentrate concentrated, that's when you have, you know, the movements that we've seen that have been defined by these, Decades in this area or this region. Um, so, under the name Missingly Collective, my few friends and I have uh, started putting on shows this year. We're looking to expand on that in 2020 as well. But we have all different types of bands. We don't keep it, you know, strict to one genre. As long as you know you have the same mentality of wanting to build community, we we welcome you. And we have all different types of visual artists, performance artists. We have local fashion designers and things like that. So we try to kind of centralize and bring a sense of community to the creative scene out here.
0: That's <laughs> cool because I, mean, I love playing in New York, and it's cool to see see a movement like the grunge movement. Like the one thing I've been somewhat disappointed in is, you know, I understand the EDM trance kind of market, and I'm an electronic musician. A lot of people confuse DJs with keyboard players. Like you right, know, <laughs> a DJ a keyboard player is it's not. not a DJ. Like that. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I've had people say, Oh, can you do my show at a frat house? And yeah. I'm like, What do you want me to do? It's like, Oh, you're the DJ. It's like, No, I'm a keyboardist. <laughs> yeah, that's so I don't want to come hurts. with the C D J and like and, and run tunes. That's not what no. I do. But, I mean, yeah. so it's really heartening to see a band like yours, which kind of, you know, goes back to the day when I was like, you know, uh watch listening to college radio and seeing bands actually playing real instruments and coming out with Real songs, you know, not that these other songs aren't real, but to me, I grew up listening to bands like Yes, you know, and Hendrix and, you
1: know,
0: people who are really.
1: And I mean, every so often you'll have I mean, I do agree with you. I, you know, I grew up with a lot of that music, but it didn't always really stick to me, even if I respected, you know, the creativity that went into it. But I look at artists like Robin or even some of Lady Gaga stuff where it has that heavy electronic vibe to it, but there's still very smart lyrics and, you know, crap. Yeah, it's, yeah it's,
0: it's, it's kind of got that Bowie-esque thing, you know, because Lady yeah. Gaga is channeling Bowie, so that's still kind of one foot in, in the old school, where she's very theatrical. She's taken like, the, like an actor's vision for music, which is really cool. Like what Bowie really, he ruled that. Um, and he could transform himself into characters, and Lady Gaga does that. Uh, you know, she she actually is very Bowie, Bowie-esque in that way. And, she, you know, she's a musician, but she found ways to like, okay, with, with production, you know, beef it up to become, you know, top 10, top five. You know, there's a certain level you have to get to to do that, unless you're going to be like a Nirvana and just be pure all the way and happen to come in on a movement exactly. <laughs> that you don't need a, a producer telling you what to do. You'd be a band like R.E.M. You know, they did what they wanted. And then the fans exactly. about came to them because they created the style. I, I kind of love bands that do that. Um, they kind of force their, their style upon the world and then everybody actually comes to it.
1: <laughs> right. Well, that's, that's also part of organizing shows is we are, you know, in addition to getting to help a bunch of other artists in a similar position to I am, I get to see what works and almost curate an audience in that way. So I'm able to, you know, grow in that way. And it's not going to happen for anybody if we can't, if we don't start paying attention to each other, you know, other people will start proud, but we got to, you know, be the crowd for each other, so to speak.
0: Yeah. Well, that's where this podcast is. Like I decided that, you know, I'm on Instagram and, you know, other artists would like my stuff. And then I would say, okay, if you like my stuff, you know, I got this podcast. I dig your stuff. Let's talk. And so I tried to create the sense of community on the net um, by pushing right. nothing, nothing, nothing but indie bands. You know, nothing but I've mostly <laughs> I've talked to some bigger label bands, but ninety nine percent of who I talk to are bands that are you know working bands trying to make it. And uh, I right. felt they needed a, a showcase.
1: So right. That's why well, I. Appreciate it. I'm sure most <laughs> most people uh, in the position would be. But it just goes to show you, you know, social media isn't so bad. Sometimes every so often, you know, it comes in with a purpose if you use it right.
0: Yeah, because one of the things I was disappointed, and there's people out there that will charge artists like 50 bucks, 100 bucks, 200 bucks to do what I'm doing right now, Um, which I felt like, you know, I'm a music fan, I'm a a producer, I'm, I'm a musician. And I'm like, I like to talk to bands to find that sense of community because I'm interested in your process, you know, and so I'll talk to you because I don't need to make money. I find what you know when you're trying to make money, it's like, okay, fine. I end up getting money anyway, even though I wasn't out to do it. <laughs> I get started, right. oh. you know, Spotify yeah. actually is part, Anchor is part of Spotify and Spotify actually pays me. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. so, so I wasn't trying to do that. It just happened. Um, but I wasn't going and asking the bands for money, you know, so, I think that sometimes when you start something, you know, it can become something I and mean, you didn't even you know, you're not really trying to out there not that you shouldn't make money. And I'm I am i am not against money. I sell my records and stuff, I try to make money. <laughs> of course. But, but but I think if you're telling somebody you gotta pay two hundred dollars to talk to them on the podcast, I'm like, okay.
1: <laughs> right. I mean, there is definitely plenty of those or get my advice for three hundred dollars. I mean yeah. I do. I, I understand it, too. Everybody wants to make money doing what they love. You know, who wouldn't want to do that? So I don't, you know, it is shitty sometimes. I don't. I hope I can curse a little bit. Yeah, you yeah. don't <laughs> care. Sorry. Yeah, it, we it, don't it can care. be a little, all right. Yeah, it can be shitty if you're, you know, if you're doing it excessively. I know, like, when I put on shows, as soon as the expenses are covered, we'll divvy the rest, you know, amongst the bands and performers, you know, the people who are selling art and pieces and stuff like that there's no fee for them to participate and we let you know we don't take any cut from what they make from what they sell that's all theirs that's you know that's that, their art that's, that's cool that's kind of that like the we...
0: hippie aesthetic you know it's like the Grateful Dead you know the whole the old school aesthetic you know back back in the day when people were just like I did it because I love the music you know
1: they yeah, it, I, I like the art and at the end of the day if I want to build a name for myself and I want to do this I want to do it I want to be known for the right reasons. I want to be known as somebody who did it by being a good person, not just somebody who yeah. you know was trying to tear somebody else down. Yeah,
0: you got you got people on some sides of the business. You pay, you know, asking people to pay three thousand dollars, they get a feature,
1: right? <laughs> and I am exactly. like, okay,
0: okay. It's like I, you know, when I collaborate, I never ask for money. You know, I've done three, four different kind of collaborations where I've done albums with other artists, and we just did it because we we had a vibe. And I and I some I, I found I liked uh, a band and I just I, I just did it I did work with a band in New York City uh, um, and we actually put the, Lonnie Claire and we did an album together we was exchanged files and we worked on it for a couple months and then I did another album with a with a, a woman out in um, Los Angeles who's actually an actor uh, but she dabbles in electronic music and we put together an album we, and we just did it because we were vibing on each other's stuff. You know, I listened to some demos and I was like, that's cool. And if we make money after the fact we published it, it was like, fine, we'll make money then. But it's like, if I hear something really cool and I want to work with somebody, sometimes I would, you know, just do it. Which is kind of like, you know, that's the old school way of doing it. <laughs> but-
1: yeah, I mean, there there are still people like that. But um, as, as the band leader, whenever I'm able to give uh, my bandmates a couple bucks at the end of the night because we've made it it always feels rewarding because no matter how much, even if it's five bucks a person, the fact yeah, that yeah. you make music just, it just makes it feel a lot more significant, I guess.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. Thing is like doing a contract is like, it's cool to, you know, and to be in in, in the industry, but like, I, I like, <clears throat> I, I'm kind of like art first. And if it makes money, then it makes money. Um, That's so, exactly
1: you know. it. That's always what I've said. Cause I be- I'm not one of those people who's so quick to say oh this band sold out this band sold out because they you know just happened to make a little money. The way I always saw it was the creativity and the songwriting has to come first, and if it's canceled out, you know just make it a pure, organic work, and then that's when you market it. That's when you yeah. do the business and all that. But it's fifty-fifty yeah. if you want to go anywhere.
0: Yeah, because like you look at the story Nirvana, I mean, Kurt Cobain was just doing what he wanted. He didn't even really want to be a star. He was just he wanted. He had that punk aesthetic. He he had those great songs. He was a great. He was like a new John Lennon. You know, he was writing amazing stuff, and the world just you know made him a superstar. He he probably didn't want to be. Um, I think he would have been more comfortable being a smaller star. Uh, but but sometimes it's, you you do that work and people find you. Uh, Right, because you're pure. I think Kurt Cobain is a really good example of a pure artist. You know, just the world just found him. I think like R.E.M. is another example. They were just pure indie artists and the world finally heard heard what Michael Stipe and those guys were doing. (laughs) Yeah. And then they became super. It's like not like they sold out. It's like the world finally clicked into what they were doing. Um, And they got a lot of money for it, but like I never thought they sold out. I just think they
1: absolutely not. No, they were neither bandit
0: so um, so you said you're getting into Ableton so so when you get into that are you thinking of, of, of changing the, the the genre of your music in, in any specific way or just using that to continue the way you're writing now or are you going to introduce elements that would change you know cross genre into different things
1: well I think we've basically always kind of crushed genre a little bit um that's just kind of naturally because i'm into so many different types of music and i've been fortunate to get to play with the very talented musicians who are capable of that mm-hmm. um but I, on our last ep for example we have a song like girl which was the uh the lead single that's very much so in the vein of like a white stripes kind of garage yeah. um that goes right into the song kids at play which is very um dream pop kind of sounding
0: yeah kind of sonic youth i sound. You sound like a little bit of Sonic Youth um, in a way when they did that kind of atmospheric I'll, stuff. I like
1: that. Thank you very much. Um, but yeah, so I I see it being having different aspects that will help with either side of you know the extreme the super gritty punk rock and roll or the dream pop kind of side of us. Um, I think it will have, have applications for either. I don't think it will change anything completely. Like I don't think I'm ever going to be an EDM artist after this or anything like that, yeah, but yeah. I do think that it'll help add to it and make it a fuller vision um, so I would be able to do what I have in my head, completely mm-hmm. having access to to that all in one place.
0: Would you ever think of doing something like like a Joy Division New Order kind of, you know, uh, that type of Depeche Mode type of style because those kind of tools can let, let you go that way, and that sound is not that divergent from what you're doing still kind of got that attitude
1: right i try to make it so that the attitude is a good way to say it or the soul of the music as i like to say i try to make that the connecting force um i try not to put too much emphasis on it all having to sound a certain way in order Mm -hmm. um i think if I, as long as i'm true to the narrative that i'm going for and the soul of the music It kind of sounds cohesive naturally. Yeah, I
0: think that's so. That that kind of goes into a question I I dive into. like when you write songs, do you have like complete ideas before you actually touch your instrument, or do you kind of work out an idea and it becomes something that you continue to refine? Because some artists will say, Well, I had this dream and it just kind of came all together, and other times it's like it's heavily labored. Is it, you know, do you have multiple? You know different ways of approaching songwriting.
1: Oh, definitely. Um, you know that's just how it happens naturally. I don't even think I have much of a choice in that. But it really depends. I have some songs that I heard melody in my head first. Then, you know, I then came up with lyrics to it. Um, kind of found something on guitar that felt like it fit. And sometimes it's the opposite where I'll get a guitar riff in my head and then build uh, a song lyrically and everything around that. Every there's been a couple of songs I've done where. I started with the title and what I knew I wanted to be about. And I just approached it with, okay, well, what do you want to say about this? Um, so have, that
0: that's up. interesting. Um, have you ever started with like a full set of lyrics and then found music to go with it? Or do you always start with the music and go to the lyrics?
1: Um, it depends. There's a few songs where that I've been able to do that. Um, but a lot of times, even if it's the lyrics that are coming first, I have some sort of melody in my head that I'm mm-hmm. singing them to.
0: Okay. That's cool. Cause like sometimes when I started, I, I was a poet and I actually had some published pop- mm-hmm. poetry and I was like very hesitant to actually sing. It took me a lot of years. I was, just a, key- I was a keyboardist, I never sing, And I had all this poetry. And then one day I said, well, you know, I'm going to take my poems and try to turn them into lyrics. And I just, you know, for a couple of years, I just kept on going through all my poetry and trying to make it fit within music I had written. And I've done
1: a lot of that too, absolutely.
0: And then I started to realize I had. Then I, you know, had these. I have a home studio, so I can continually record all the time. And I would, I started to naturally find my voice. And it, I kind of now I do kind of like stream of consciousness stuff, type of recording, where I would just, I'll have an idea and then I'll get on the keyboard and then I'll kind of just go with an open mic and just re- record and then find the song in like 30 minutes to just play.
1: <laughs> right. No, that, that works too. I've definitely, one thing that I've learned in my, you know, a couple of years of doing this now is I write everything down, whether it's in my phone or a notebook, I always keep with me. Uh, mm-hmm. Even if something, you know, doesn't, then it might be good for something that you're thinking of six months from now. So I try to just kind of keep everything. Yeah. If I'm if I'm ever stuck or if i just kind of need, you know, a little jump start for inspiration, I'll read through it and I'll be like, "Oh, you know, this line didn't work for that, but I think it can maybe work for something else." And build on it that way.
0: That's the cool thing about having a digital audio workstation. I actually use like hardware recorders. So I actually have hardware recorders and mixers kind of old school, and I'll just like run a session for like 3 hours. And then kind of like, you know, because my heroes were like Neil Young and Crazy Horse in bands like that and all my brothers. That's what they used to do. Sometimes they go in the studio and they just play. And then they like Neil Young's Tonight, Tonight, it was just them jamming most of the time. And then he, he would go back into the tapes and pull out the song and then refine the songs. And I've always felt like I'll do other sometimes I'll come up with an idea where I really physically create a five minute song. There are a lot of other times I'll have like, you know, 60 minutes worth of a studio session and I'll pull them out of that. Um, yeah. Which I, I actually find it more satisfying to do that <laughs> than the other part, but this is the older I get, the more I like to just jam.
1: Um, can I just
0: do it? Could I like to.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I get that.
0: Um. So have you thought of um, like You have your collective, have you collaborated with like the bands in your collective or you guys are still like separate artists? Have you, when you do shows, do you kind of cross, you know, have other bands like join you on stage and like do jam sessions and stuff like that?
1: We haven't done that yet, but that is something, especially for the ones that we put on ourselves, having like a jam session we were thinking at the end could be a, a good way to kind of bring people together and playing with each other. Um, in terms of personally, like uh, from the missing sons collaborating, I would be interested Depending on you know what I was going for for that particular one, but it's mm-hmm. something that I'm keeping in mind for for going forward. My uh, I I felt like this year we you know we're able to get a lot done, having albums under our belt and playing shows. So from 2020 to me is about kind of okay. Well, what we're here, we kind of got leveled. What can come next? So that's so, what yeah, I yeah know in coming forward or 2020 or whatever the case may be it's a lot of okay we're here we've we have a solid foundation now let's see what we can do next
0: so you trying to have you played outside of new york or have you thought of like joining like festivals that could take to like europe or asia or anything like that because i did see some fans on your spotify in like in japan (laughs) yeah you
1: never know (laughs) yeah
0: so you never know. It's like a lot of times I found um, some of the bands I'd like to listen to. They actually, you know, one of the greatest stars, I mean, like Liz Fair. Liz Fair took her um, Exile and Guyville tour like worldwide. And it actually worked really good outside the U.S., which was interesting. Um, she it's actually that did got a match.
1: lot of examples. You could see that a lot in history. I mean, look at how many bands had to go to England to make it.
0: Yeah, well, Hendrix. I mean, yeah. Hendrix is like the premier. He was on the Chitlin circuit working with Little Richard and um, a lot of these other soul singers, he was like doing their backgrounds. And um, right. he was with, playing with the Isley Brothers. I have all these tapes coming up, my Hendrix Fanatic. And I got him playing with the Isley Brothers and Lil Richard. And, and then he's like, you know, he wasn't getting anywhere because he, those bands didn't really want him showing off. Of course. So um, every time he showed off, they would find him or kick him out. <laughs> so, so it's like Chad Chandler from the Animals found him and set him yeah. up in London. Cafe Wa, and then boom, you know, you know, all those guys found him. Uh, I think that you know, Chad Chandler would like the uh, member of the Animals. He became a producer, right? And he became super big in England. And he came back at the at that Monterey Festival, and boom, you know, he he was slamming. You know, but he had to go out to come back, which is you know, you know, sad that you can't make it in your own home country. yeah with the, with oh, the blues
1: <laughs> but it is it is true but in this day and age because of technology it's all so connected that yeah. you know you're lucky that you get to you can connect with people from all over the world it's never been as accessible as it is right now
0: oh yeah i mean i i interviewed a, a band in um, france a couple of weeks ago i interviewed a band from berlin i've interviewed bands in um London, you know, punk rockers in London. I've been able to interview, like, I'm trying to collaborate with this artist in the Netherlands who kind of sounds like Bjork. Um, oh. So these are, this, this kind of social media has been really good for me. And I actually do Facebook live shows from my studio. Um, and I get, like, three, 4,000 people to, to watch. Them. Um, wow. It's is, is pretty cool. And it, it keeps my chops up between concerts because – I can actually do a live concert and kind of practice and I still get a pretty good audience feedback and I'll try new material and then see what people think. And it's really cool. I mean, there's all kinds of cool technology. I'm just using an iPhone on a tripod and a Roland go mixer hooked up to my mixer. And then I can get a really good signal and a good picture. And, um, you know, you, you can, you know, do a show (laughs) on the net. And so I, you know, and I get a lot of people (laughs) around the world, to listen to me and and that's how I kind of got this podcast doing stuff like that. But, um, yeah, it's just really cool what you can do now. So even if you can't get into a venue as a band, you can build a, a following by doing live shows on Facebook or live shows on Periscope or whatever, or even Instagram, you can do that.
1: Yeah. I mean, you definitely can. It's just a matter of balancing it. I'm lucky where, you know, I'm living in a city where there's so many places to play in time.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. We, you got the you got the best it's like being in LA. Yeah, exactly. If, you, if you're in New York or LA then you've got you can just walk out the door and get to a, to a venue. You live in the yeah, Tunk, so you New, you live in New Hampshire and you're like, "Oh, uh, maybe not."
1: Yeah, I'm sure, especially you know walking then. But uh, yeah, I mean we for that reason we we've done stuff on Instagram live and Facebook live, you know, putting parts of our shows up. Um, you know, taking snippets from rehearsal or whatever the case may
0: be. Yeah, it's a really good way to get your social media up and then you can start put, you put, trying to do it on YouTube is a little harder. Um, but Facebook is pretty cool. Um, you can't do live on YouTube. It's just a little it, it trickier. Um, I've had some issues with it, but uh, Facebook has been something I've been able to do all the time. Not that I'm pushing for them, but uh, <laughs> but but yeah, it's, it, it's just cool to be able to get out there What I'm doing now through this podcast is actually a couple of the bands I've interviewed have agreed to do a Facebook live, like, like festival on live, like, so I'm going to have from, from uh, three bands I've interviewed actually do like an unplugged kind of well performance from their home studio and every band play on that session. So we're going to have like one band play like 20 minutes from the home studio and then another band play 20 minutes from the studio. It's all going to be kind of streamed live. So we're setting it up for 2020.
1: That's really interesting. I could I see that working.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if, yeah, we're going to try it. We're going to experiment with it, make sure we got the right kind of equipment to get it done right. But um, is it making sure every band actually has the same level? <laughs> you don't want... be That's
1: hard yeah. enough to do when you're all in the same room.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's trying to make sure they all, the signal is good for each one. So we're doing some like, like, like test shows <laughs> first to see how it works before we do the first, you know, to a tie of like a beta tester. <laughs> one Absolutely. That, one of the bands is going to try. Yeah, but like if I get that going, it would, would your band be interested in doing that?
1: Absolutely. We've been wanting to do more of the acoustic, not to do primarily, but it's, you get to kind of be a little more intimate and a little bit more, you get to bring a different side to the music when you have an opportunity to do that live as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If you have a good tripod and you got a good like smartphone, cause most of the you know, modern smartphones can do it. Uh, yeah. and you just got to be in a good Wi-Fi environment, have the tripod and, you know, something like a roll and go mixer, just to get the signal, you know, so it sounds good. So you, know, you can send it over the net. But you know, however you do it, if you have got the way to do it, or you can use somebody's uh, studio or something to do it, it's cool. We can work on that later. But if whenever like, I know you're busy, but yeah, we're gonna try our beta test with the stuff I'm talking about. But yeah, if you're interested, we're, we're probably gonna try more of them next year. So
1: yeah, please keep me posted. We're always looking for new opportunities like that. I think in order for a young band to make it in today's world, where the music industry is, a bit of, you know, shaky to say the least. Yeah creative and and how you approach it
0: yeah i think visually i mean this doing this show is cool because
1: bands get to hear
0: I mean, your fans get to hear a lot about who you are you know sometimes bands you know like fans they listen to your music but they never get to hear your voice and then places like mtv and stuff don't do what they used to do like i remember 100 120 minutes was the show they used to actually have the guys from sonic youth (laughs) uh, like interview other bands Thurston Moore would actually be on like at one o'clock in the morning interviewing who's to do or interviewing REM or interviewing some hip hop guy. And it was cool. And I was like, where's that? You know? So, you know, that's why I've been trying to to do like a video version of the show, but that's been like, we've had some false starts on that, but we're going to try to do that next year too.
1: Oh, that's great. Yeah,
0: so we're, we're always trying to progress. You know, I, I found, you know, as a, as a musician, I haven't been as successful at my music as I am at my podcast, but I'm always, I didn't stop. I still do both. Um, but, you know, this year I got signed to a label after like 20 years. It took a long time.
1: <laughs> Congratulations.
0: But yeah, so, yeah, you know, it's, it, you never know what happens. You know, you keep on pushing and finally it happens. So, yeah, you know, that's what I would say to any band is that you keep on, you have your vision, you keep on doing what you want to do, you, your network, like what you're doing with your collective. That's great. I think collectives are, are the way to go. You know, in hip hop, you see a lot of collectives like Brockhampton you know, and Odd Future. Like yeah. I think, I think. I rock- was very
1: influenced by that because they're, and they're smart about it. You know, they, they're very passionate about their cities. You hear them in a lot of their songs. Um, I, I really respect the way rap has gone I think that as a songwriter and as a, a person who wants to do music, I've, I've benefited from growing up with it.
0: Yeah. It's just cool to see the collectives. Cause it's kind of like challenging the record companies,
1: you know, because like the odd future
0: collective, they, they he, you know, Tyler, the creator, he makes tons of money from that camp. They get more money than his label oh, yeah. gives them. <laughs> you know, well, that's
1: because it, it's not about, it's not like how it was anymore where, you know, you get signed to a label and that, you know, and then you've made it essentially. It's hard to make money off of record sales and things like that. You have to, in the same way, just on a grander scale, they also have to be creative.
0: Yeah, and it's creating a big festival like that, you know, like that's the vision. Like every artist, you know, I'm an electronic artist. I w- I've been trying to get like like-minded keyboard players like myself that like analog you know, and still believe in analog to like, you know, put together, like the show, and that's why I'm trying to do this show that I was talking about. We we're going to have some artists, you know, from Sweden and Netherlands uh, that are into that, you know, that aren't like running CDJs, they're running Moogs, You know, they're just Euro racks. We're, we're doing, like, you know, experimental electronic music. Um, and we believe in it, and we think if people see it, they'll, they'll see what we're talking about. I think visually it looks really interesting when you see people you know, manipulating sound that way. And I think the vision, if you have a stagecraft to it, like I wear, I wear LED costume, kind of like a, like a a dead mouse. (laughs) I wear a ghost costume. It's all like LEDs. I have a phantom mask that lights up and flashes and, um, you know, you have your stagecraft, but that's not the, you know, the music is more important, but you do have to have some stagecraft to get people to pay attention. Um, but yeah, that's always interesting. So you were talking about like elements to your show. So when you're changing your your live show, can you expand on what what you're going to add?
1: Well, if if I'm able to, the idea is if I'm adding from using Ableton and things like that, I always try to make the live experience as close to as I can get it on the record as possible. Uh, which you know, be some room to improvise because that's yeah yeah that's part of the live experience. Um, but I always try to I give the best quality sounding show that we can. So if there's something where we're incorporating synths or something like that, I would love to be able to do that live.
0: Yeah, that's a sequence. Yeah, like because like, I'm kind of primarily like a one-person act. So uh, instead of using like a DAW, I use kind of like hardware uh, digital recorders, which I found sometimes like the problem I've had with DAWs is, is like you have your Mac and then it crashes. <laughs> yeah um exactly. the, the cool thing about like what i use like a zoom r24 digital recorder it never crashes and so i have a 24 track recorder that has my original master on 24 tracks i go to the show with my 24 track recorder and then i play i can mute and unmute tracks and then i play with it and um it basically yeah, gives you, an it, it, it gives you like the same experience but it's like dead reliable like it will never blow up, you know. The battery doesn't go down, it's a wired machine. Um, so it's like never gives you a problem compared to like what can happen with laptops, which can sometimes you have to have backup laptops. Um, if you get too dependent on Ableton and stuff like that, because they can crash on you, but um, it's just different type of things. Even once you get big out there and you do, you end up having backups, you know, having a backup shows, you're doing good if you have doing that many shows.
1: Yeah. well. <laughs> It's, it's not so bad to, uh, to play to stuff like that, too. I've seen a lot of bands, and I've, I've considered that, too, as an option if need being. Most uh, venues now are equipped where you would be able to plug it in and you could play to a track.
0: Yeah, a couple of places I played. You know, when I played at, um, that, um, that play venue, I told you, in Queens, I did that. And then I played in Boston. I played some shows in Boston, and I, that's how I primarily play. But I have a lot of hardware sequencers that are just like synth sequencers. So they're kind of dead reliable, too. <clears throat> and then when you use like a sequencer versus like a DAW, it's pretty dead reliable. Um, so it's kind of cool when you use those because then then you have the ability to kind of play, play the dial or play the filter. What we say in electronic music is you can take something that was already running and then you can alter it while it's running. And so it doesn't have to sound what you originally wrote. And so it gives you some kind of you know, ability to, to not be just bored with what you did. You can actually change it up um enough to make it spontaneous, to make it seem like it's like not just canned, which is kind of cool. It is. It. Yeah. It's just a cool way of, 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 doing something to have stability, but also have creativity or not being stuck on the loop.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure.
0: Um. So what are your opinions of the way music, the music business is being done, like streaming services versus if you could sell your CD or people buy your download? What do you think about like streaming? Um, well,
1: I mean, like I was saying before, I feel in the sense that, you know, it's the most accessible for me to put it out all over the world. And I get to do it directly where I don't have to go through somebody else. And it automatically has the same access as any other song. Um, But I mean, I I think uh, it's the the results are in basically with what it's done to the music industry in general. I think they're still pretty, pretty much scrambling to figure out how they're going to make it work without having album sales be the focus.
0: Yeah, what I found is I I have to do alternative things like this podcast or or when I do a show, I bring a physical CD that I, I produce myself. And I sell it myself, kind of like like at the back back of my trunk, or I do merch. (laughs) And I make more money selling a t-shirt than I do for my streaming, which is somewhat disappointing as as a musician. (laughs) Yeah, but it's kind of disappointing as a musician is I can make more money selling a t-shirt than my album. Like when does the music actually get, I mean, the music has caused them to buy the t-shirt. But it's like exactly it would be good to make that what you should actually make from your music. It should be valued. So it's got to well, be a way yeah. for us to get the music valued again. You know. Well,
1: you could be. You know, they, these streaming services can be playing paying artists and the minuscule amount that they currently are. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Way, that the, doesn't seem right.
0: Yeah, it seems like you know. It seems like yeah, if you're a big artist, you get a bigger piece of the pie, like a Taylor Swift. Not to put her down, but she gets a bigger piece of it, um, right. and then everybody else gets the smaller piece. And then the question is, like back in the day, like well, you know, you got what what it, what you would get, you know. You then you know you have this kind of sliding scale based on A level down to E level talent or whatever, and um, it's kind of like it's not, it doesn't seem fair for the work you do, you know, if you sell this. It's really business,
1: Even the biggest, even the biggest artists, when you look at the cut, I forget what it is exactly. When you look at the percentage they actually make from streaming, you know, it's shockingly low. Not that I'm going to be crying for the same way I'm going to cry, be crying for a local band. But percentage wise, it, you know, it seems like it could be recalibrated to make a lot more sense.
0: Oh, yeah. It's way lower than what you used to get when you sold vinyl or you sell a CD. You know, it's nowhere right. near, and it, it's basically the devaluation of of our product because somebody will pay fifty dollars for for an Xbox game, but they yeah. refuse to pay anywhere like ten dollars for music. So it's the kind of like right. the, the this when they... I
1: oh, I'm sorry, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, you're going you're going in and out a little bit, I'm
0: sorry. Okay? I give them a living wage.
1: <laughs> oh, there we go. Sorry, you went in and out a little bit. But yeah, you do have to give somebody a living wage, no matter what the job is that they're doing.
0: Yeah, if you're willing to pay $50 for a video game, you don't think if you have a band you love, you can't spend $9? <laughs> you know? Yeah. That, that I mean, I don't want to come down and get people mad. Oh, well, I don't think, well, okay, fine. But it's just, it's just the reality, you know, that we shouldn't have to make money off of T-shirts and uh posters we should be able to make the money off the record um
1: absolutely but unfortunately the uh the system is not set up that way now but that's why whether it's be physical or something having other means of income or other means whether it's merch or something else or like a, a organizing a show or a festival or things like that yeah shows
0: uh, yeah i think yeah. shows are the way bands make it's kind of like if you go back we're kind of going back If you go back in music history, like the Motown acts, like if you weren't Smokey or Stevie, right? You were the Temptations at the Four Tops. The way they made their money was they had to tour incessantly. They had to tour. That's the only way they got cash. And it's kind of like that again, (laughs) you know, because even though you're writing your own music and you own your copyright, you're not getting the songwriter level money that the you know that the Funk Brothers are. Smokey or stevie wonder used to get um you know n- nobody's getting that anymore um and that i think that's that's got changed in some ways i don't know how that's going to change
1: oh i certainly would be the one to figure that one out i'm no expert when it comes to the music industry but for my own um you know i kind of faced that reality coming into this that i knew even if i was lucky and got to be one of the you know few that made it that, that wouldn't be how I would be making any sort of real money. So that's why, whether it's things like putting on my own show or I'm looking to collaborate with um, some of the artist friends I've had from putting on shows, uh, you know, people like who can and things like that. Yeah, to work yeah. on some really cool new merch for 2020. Um, and I'm just, I'm I'm up to the challenge of having to be creative on how to get myself out there.
0: Yeah, the other way to get it is like, you know, actually getting your song put into movies, TV shows, and advertising. Right. Uh, and see, that's the other big ticket. And if being an electronic musician, there's a lot of places like, you know, for just ambient music is being used like everywhere. Of course. So, so if you're a synthesizer player and you, they somebody wants a 30-second uh, bit of music and you've got your Roland Jupiter and you want they give this moody sound and somebody can use it and you get more money from that than you do from your Spotify. Oh, 100%. <laughs> Which is interesting. I mean, and then people don't even know. The cool thing about that is, like, you have anonymity. You know, nobody really knows who you are. Right. You 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 sell your music and you make money, but nobody really knows you. So sometimes, as a musician, you kind of your ego is like, I want people to know. family like a ghost. But okay. I make I mean, I, I make more money as my my regular legal name, selling stuff that nobody knows I'm doing.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's how it goes.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it's, you find what you can do to, to get out there and you do what you love and it just, you know, you, you get where you're going, but it's just interesting to me, like hopefully for the next de- generation, the musicians, something will change where they won't have to go. What we're going through right now.
1: I'm sure they're going to figure out. A- always did. Or, I mean, if you look, there's some people who really benefited, even if they didn't make that kind of money, you know, specifically from streaming, you look at some, like Chance the Rapper who was able to come up basically independent um, yeah, just by himself on things like that properly. Uh, so I, I try to look at it as the glass half full because otherwise it'll oh, just yeah. be too I much. Mean, yeah, I mean, if you get
0: on social media you become a YouTuber and you come up through YouTube or SoundCloud, you know, or Instagram you get the buzz or like TikTok you get the buzz. Um, yeah, that seems to be the new thing. Like TikTok is like the new big thing. Um, right, a lot lot of artists coming through there. Um, it's like the new SoundCloud, it's not exactly SoundCloud, you only hear a little bit, you only hear snippets like Instagram, but it's enough, like almost like, yeah, it's enough to get through, though. You know, sometimes a one minute snippet to get you, it can get you out there. Um, but but it's cool to to talk to you. I'm very, um, I, I really like your music. I was listening to both your EPs, and I think everybody should go out there and. And listen to um, your, your, this is a really good band. You know, the Missing Sons, if you're playing in New York and you live in New York, you should go see them. And we're going to include the link to your Spotify, uh, your artist link, um, and your album link for Show Up and Deal on this episode. And it will be promoted on 11 different podcasts, including Anchor FM, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and a bunch of other ones up to 11 different podcast platforms.
1: Thank you very much. And anybody who is in the new York city area, um, our missing link collective show, the last one for the year and possibly the missing sun's last show for the year uh, is going to be at the well in Bushwick. The show starts at 8 PM um, and everybody is welcome. It's $10 at the door and 21 plus.
0: Cool. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you later. Uh, we'll definitely keep in touch. If when you have new material, and you want to push your new album, uh, let us know because we do album release episodes. So That's we'll, we can set that up.
1: I definitely will. We, uh, we plan to record this upcoming spring, uh, hopefully to be able to release by the end of next year. So I will definitely keep that in my mind. I had yeah. a, a lot of fun talking to you. It's always great, thank you. I always enjoy <laughs> listening to people with good taste in music.
0: <laughs> thank you very much.
1: Thank you. Okay. Have a good night. You too.